together in God's house. It's good to see all of you by way of uh, StreamSpot or Facebook or whatever goes on. Good to see some of you that are tuning in right now and want to just pray a blessing upon you as well. Well, this morning as we have come, um, this is a, a good day, a good day to just follow after the Lord and what he wants. Uh, if you take your Bibles and for, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2, going to refer to that in just a moment. Last week I reported on some things that were happening, some issues that we need to face as people in the challenging coming days of our country and our time. And we looked a lot at the book of First and Second Peter where Peter was writing to a people who lived in tough times. They were exiled and to be exiled means you, lo- you leave where you are and go live in some other place. It's an un- unfamiliar place. It's a place where customs are different, uh, activities are different, finances, culture, all those kind of things are different. And, and Peter wrote to those believers there, while you're there, he said, know that you're under God's care, but he wants you to do some things, and that's to grow in grace. And, and we talked about the coming issues and to be warned and to be aware of and to pray into God's purposes for the end times church, that we are going to be those that are going to be able to stand despite all the efforts to uh, destroy values, to get God way out of our culture and out of our schools and out of our marriages and out of our families and even out of you. I remember there was discussion even back several years ago, we need to take those Christians and brainwash them or get them washed of their brains so they think right. Well, listen, if you're in the Word of God, you have the mind of Christ. Your brain, brain is better than that because you have the mind of Jesus and you stay in the word, you stay there, that's what we've got to do. And I told you about our need to pray into God's plan for these days on earth. On Wednesday of this week, and I also mentioned what was happening in Israel, that in Israel, uh, they're coming up again uh, to an election with a new uh, change government, progressive, very progressive government that's going to be, unless there's changes, and in Israel you can always count on change to happen, then by the 14th there's going to be established or put in place a new coalition government. Uh, I think you all realize that Israel is a very interesting type of government. They have a to- 120 members of the Knesset, have 27 political parties. Now, you think we have trouble with two and a half? Try 27. I tell you, we got, they got a lot of issues. But what they do in order to get these coalitions together is they, they sort of team up with other groups of six or seven, eight or ten in the majority, and they get this together. And you know, the concern that many have concerning that is that the conservative party, include under uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, is being sort of set aside, and Bennett and some of the others. And in that coalition, there's a, a Muslim Arab group that belong to the Muslim Brotherhood, and many are concerned about it. However, in that concern, many believers are, lo- are getting their sights readjusted. I hope you understand that if you put your hope in our government and thinking, well, if, they, if everything just goes the way I want it to go, all will be well, that's the same attitude that many have concerning Israel. And it's a, it's a false look at what's going on. Our call is to be people of the kingdom of God. And we pray into his will in all the earth. Bridges for Peace this week, uh, well, many, uh, there was a Jerusalem prayer breakfast on Wednesday. It, is a, it was an uh, organization or a prayer movement initiated and chaired by Knesset member Robert Alatov, 
and co-chaired by U.S. Congresswoman Michelle Bachman to bring together government leaders and influential Christian leaders from all walks of society for a gathering in Jerusalem and pay, pray for its peace. Now, there were many leaders there. I watched uh, uh, quite a bit of it, but also was included Bridges for Peace, of which we support, and I'm on their board, is uh, Rebecca Brimmer, the CEO and international president of, and of nine countries that are supporting Israel, based in Jerusalem. And I want to read just a portion of their press release because many people are saying, well, if this doesn't go our way, we're not going to support Israel. And she writes out of our organization, our organization is called to stand with Israel at all times, in times of peace, in times of crisis, in times of uncertainty. Our global network of national offices and supporters unashamedly chooses at all times to stand with Israel and to be a blessing to the Jewish people said Bridges for Peace International, President CEO Rebecca J. Bremer. As anti-Semitism increases and Israel is demonized on the global stage, Bridges for Peace would like to reassure our Jewish friends in Israel and around the world that the support of Bridges for Peace and the support of our global network of Christian representatives will not waver. Our legacy stands as a testament that Bridges for Peace is here to show steadfast love and support to the nation of God and the people of God, regardless of changes in the political leadership of the nation, Brimmer added. We're not swayed by political sentiment, but rather are driven by a call of God, an eternal biblical imperative to bless the nation of Israel, to comfort the people of God, and to stand with Israel and Jerusalem. Now, I'm, I'm thankful for that statement because it really says we, are, we love the Jewish people because God loves the Jewish people. He has chosen them. That's his land, and we support that. And God said, blessed are those that bless you and cursed are those that curse you. We want to be on the blessing side of that, and that's what we're doing. Well, we've got to decide for ourselves here, will we stand on God's word or simply live based on political ups and downs? We're called to pray for our leaders, uh, those who rule over us. Like, How would you turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2? 1 Timothy 2. Paul is writing to Timothy at a time when they were under Roman rule and a lot of crazy things were happening there, a lot of persecution, a lot of uh, uh, rule over by the Roman government at that time. But he says, even to them, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may be, live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. We pray for our leaders and we stand on God's word that people come to the knowledge of the truth, no matter what political party, no, what, no matter what background. Now, we've got to do this, this is our call, so that we can live in a way that lifts up the Lord Jesus. He said, if I'm lifted up, what, what am I going to do? I'm going to draw all men unto myself, and that's where we're going to stand. Well, these past couple of weeks, we've been talking about what it means to live according to God's pattern. And we've used a phrase, I hope you've written it down somewhere, and you got, grab hold of it. It's pretty simple, but it's sort of a pattern. I think we all know what patterns are. Um, I grew up in a family of seamstresses and sewers and crocheters or crotchet, however you want to say it, crochet or crotchet, I don't know what it is. And uh, 
knitting and all that kind of stuff. And so I had stuff, patterns everywhere, all over the kitchen table, down in the basement, everywhere they were. And even I got married, and she learned that habit too of <laughs> making things out of patterns. Follow the pattern. And the pattern is such that you take a piece of cloth. Anybody need lessons? I can teach you. I know how. Until it comes to the sewing machine. Give me a pipe wrench any day. Forget that. Anyway, they set it out there. They put the pattern down. They cut it out. They pin it together. And they sew it. And they bring the victim, I mean the person up and said, here, put this on. <laughs> oh, I'm going to have to take that in, take that out, put this in to make it fit. Right, it's a pattern. Now, God's word is full of patterns. Things that you can put aside and put alongside and over top of and say, make this fit to this pattern. Now, what we've been talking about is a pattern of God and a pattern of behavior. We've looked at it from Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 4, and on into other scriptures, where there is a pattern by which we can put over our lives and measure things. Peter says, make every effort to add to your faith, patience, and so forth down that line. But that's a pattern. I need to add to it to fill in to make that a, the pattern. Okay, here are the words. You got it. Circumstances create conflict. Conflict will require choices. And choices will produce consequences. Circumstances create conflict. Conflict will produce, uh, require choices, and choices will produce a consequence. And you can track that. As I've been doing my Bible reading this year, I am seeing it repeated over and over and over. God said, if you do this, blessing will follow. If you don't do that, curses will follow. Simple pattern. What circumstances are come? What are you going to do about it? It's going to cause something to happen. And these past couple of weeks, we've been looking at over and over again. Circumstances come. Life happens at every level. It's part of the growth process that we go through. When we come to a conflict, we need to learn how to grow. I always like parents who, um, and we, we is one of those, and now we're grandparents, the same routine happens, is you got this little thing called the child, and they're laying there, and then pretty soon you sort of stand them up and hold them up, and if you're really brave and you want to make your wife really nervous, you toss them in the air and catch them. You know, anybody ever do that? Don't admit it in public because that's bad. I don't know why it is, but anyway. So that child learns to stand, and pretty soon they, they're balancing, you know. And then, and then they fall over. And then pretty soon they're rolling, and then pretty soon they find a chair, get up, and pretty soon they begin to walk. And they fall in, but they walk. And, and they begin to grow into being able, and I love this, for the first 18 months, here, walk to daddy, here, walk to grandma, here, walk, walk, walk. And for the next 20 years, sit down and be quiet. You know, you know isn't that how we do it? Yeah, walk, and then we say, shh, sit down. We don't want to see you go over there. But that's how we do. So circumstances are going to come. Life happens, and it's how we grow, and it's how we progress. God knows our days. James, writer of James, and we looked at that a couple of weeks ago, James 1, he said, count it pure joy. Count it all joy when you face and come into various trials of many kinds because the testing of your faith will produce. So life happens. That oftentimes, most often, creates 
a conflict. By conflict, I don't mean World War III or four or five or six in your house. I just mean there are differences of opinions, different ways to get th something done. And those conflicts went through a whole list of them on why that is very vital to understand conflict in your marriage. Why it's important to understand what is going on here so that we can make the right choice to get the consequence, the result, what we want. So here it is. Uh, life happens. The, the, the conflict comes. It's a difference of opinion. It's a difference of need. And, and conflict does reveal our needs. It does reveal our highest values, things that are important to us, things that really uh, matter. Uh, and if you don't face them properly, you don't get the right results. I remember years ago, um, this young, young groom, young husband, been married, got married, had a wonderful honeymoon. I mean, it was out of this world. They loved each other. It was so wonderful. And they went to their, their apartment. And she was such a wonderful young lady. She just loved him and wanted to make him breakfast in bed. So she gets breakfast going and burns the toast black. And she starts to cry, honey, I want it. And he lied, a bad choice. I love burnt toast, honey, don't let it bother you. For the next two weeks, she burnt his toast and, and let, let his, hers, I'm rather, it's be that golden brown where the butter was just beautiful. His is burnt to a toast. And finally, after two weeks, he said, I hate burnt toast. Cry again. Why did you tell me? Well, I didn't want to hurt your feelings. For the last two weeks, he's mad. Quit burning my toes. Listen, that was a choice he made. Bad result, bad thing, right? We do those kind of things. So we got to be careful about the choices we make in the relationship in order to keep going in our life. Things cause issues. Now, they card conflict. Okay, now we need to evaluate. Go to James chapter 3. James, he, he was James. And I'm going to give you, I want to get practical. I'm always trying to do that to try to make it livable something that we can put in place in our lives, something that we can prepare our hearts for things that are coming, because believe me, life is not about burnt toast. It is not. Although Judy and I have had this discussion, in my house, my mother lied to us. I mean, she's probably listening. Mom, you didn't really lie. You just stretched it. She said, she said burnt toast is going to give you cancer. Okay, so we didn't eat it. In Judy's house, her mom said burnt toast is going to help you sing better. So guess who, guess who can sing better, you know? It's because she ate the burnt toast. All right, parents, are we stupid or what? All right, anyway, all these things were thrown out there the way it is. Okay, so we have to understand and go through some things, how to live this, how to get prepared. Because listen, we're, we are being challenged on our values, our belief in God, whether we're going to stand for the truth of the word of God, whether we're going to stand for the claims of the kingdom of Jesus and prepare for his soon coming. Are we going to be those kind of people? James chapter 3, verse 13, it says this, Who is wise and understand among you? Let him show it by their good life. By deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast against it or deny the truth. Verse 15. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peaceable, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. And peacemakers who sow in peace reap, produce, the result, the harvest of righteousness. 
There are two wisdoms mentioned right here in this passage. One's from the earth and one's from heaven. Colossians chapter 3. Set your affections on things above, not on the things of the earth. There is choices to be made. And we've got to ask God for his wisdom and follow his pattern here. What does godly wisdom look like? And there's the list. Peaceable, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, and sincere. Being a peacemaker. Last week we looked at seven steps to guidance, how do, how, or, or choices. How do, we, how do we follow choices? Now, I'm in this situation. I've got all this stuff. What is a proper way or one way to look? Seven steps to it. And let me quickly give them to you again. Number one, you've got to pay attention to the road signs. What is happening? What, what, what am I seeing here? That's what it means to evaluate your life. What is happening? I heard someone say the other day about red flags. You know what the, the term red flag means? There's something that happens that suddenly in your spirit or your mind, you're saying, wait a minute, something is just not quite right here. I need to be careful on what I see. And the individual who was talking about it, they said this, stop carrying a wagon load of red flags. Because one day, it's all going to fall apart, and you're going to look back, well, I sort of knew it anyway. Because I all saw, I, I had all the red flags. So get rid of them. Pay attention to the roadside. Secondly, circumstances. Paul wrote and he said, I see an open door is available for me to preach. An open door is there. In Colossians, he said, pray that a door would be open for me that I can declare the gospel message. Number three was the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. The peace of God. If you belong to the Lord Jesus, you are led by the Spirit. Follow his lead. Number four was mature counsel. There's safety in many counselors. You know, it's, it's only wisdom that says, check it out, follow, get some other people, ask if this is a wise choice, check those out. Person, number five, personal desires. How God made you is part of that choice process. How's your personality? Who, who, who are you and how does that factor into how we do things? And then number six was the one that everybody sort of chuckled at because we don't have it anymore. That's common sense. You know, what is common sense? Nobody has it. It's very uncommon today. But it simply means, like in the book of Acts chapter 6, they found men full of wisdom. They, it was sort of like a no-brainer. They knew what to do under the right circumstances had the word, uh, word of God in them. Number seven was that of which it said supernatural guidance. Throughout Scripture, God led people with choices like uh, uh, Abraham, Mary, Joseph, Elijah, Paul, there were angelic, uh, supernatural guidances that God gave. Now, you should be uh, in James. Let's go back to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. Going to get into uh, a few other uh, things this morning to help us. Galatians chapter 6, beginning at verse 7. This one you often hear, uh, but we don't often read past it. Verse 7, Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Now that's normally where we stop it. Verse 8 said, Whoever sows to please their own flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. There's the pattern. You come to a choice, and I'm going to choose my flesh, or I'm going to choose the spirit. One will produce a consequence, cause uh, destruction. 
It will bring about something that will be torn apart. It's not going to be good. The other, if you follow the Holy Spirit's leading, you're going to reap, reap eternal life as well as life right now. You see, God has a way for his own. Those that belong to him, he's got a way that seems, there's a way that seems right to man, but at the end thereof is death. But God has a way that he brings to his own real life, real abundant life, in a way that's going to satisfy every need of your heart. As a kid, I remember that a wonderful hymn uh, at Calvary. My burdens are lifted at Calvary, but when uh, the words are just, uh, it fell off. My burdens of my sin rolled away. That's it. It rolled away. I came to the cross of Jesus, and the, my sin rolled away. It's gone. It, it's life now that God has for me. Because when we're drawn by the Father, we become born again. We're new creatures. The burden of my heart's gone. I become a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. That produces a change in you that suddenly you're going to come into more conflict. Well, that doesn't seem right. I give my life to Jesus. Good consequence. But what happens? I have a lot of other conflicts and choices. You lose some friends along the way. You get ridiculed, mocked. Oh, what happened to you? You became so religious. How did that happen? You mean you're not going to go down and drink with us anymore? You're not going to go party? No, no, I'm not. Well, I thought you were friends. I am your friend. In fact, I, I, you know, a new believer, he wants his, all his friends to have the life that he has. But oftentimes they say, that's not what we're coming into. You've gotten religious. So you have choices. Am I going to deny the Lord? Am I going to continue walking with him? What are my choices going to be? Eugene Peterson, author, now with the Lord, he wrote The Message, if you have The Message uh, paraphrase, but he wrote a book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, Discipleship in an Instant Society. In his book, he said, it is a lifelong choice of following God's way for the distance, not just today, but for tomorrow, and then the next day after that, and the next day after that. So long obedience in the same direction. Robert Morris, pastor down at Gateway Church in Texas, wrote this. He said he and his wife practiced the I-O principle. I period O principle. It's called instant obedience. Now we talk around here a little bit, not as often as we should, by praying first. That's a good thing to do, pray first. As talk to God first. But he said, inst I.O. principle, instant obedience, when you respond instantly to what God tells you to do. And we don't give Satan an opportunity to allow our brains and our thoughts and our emotions to rationalize just what God told us to do. I know you're not guilty of that, because <clears throat> I'm not. <clears throat> we all know we do, don't we? We all find a way to rationalize when you hear that in your spirit. The Lord said, well, call so-and-so. Well, Lord, well, they're not going to be there. How do you know? Well, they, I know they won't pick up the phone. No, how do you know that? Well, you rationalize, and pretty soon you don't make the call. Next time you see him, you say, I was thinking about you this week. Well, why didn't you call? Well, I was going to, but, you know, when they need it. Because when I have obeyed those kind of promptings in the Holy Spirit, and you know it too, you call and they say, how did you know? Well, I didn't know anything. I just did what God said to do, and I found that that was just what was needed in their life at that time. So we need to practice obedience. 
We, we don't want to give Satan that opportunity to, uh, to help us rationalize another course of action. I want to give you a list real quick, and you can just mentally say it, or you can just sort of mutter it out loud on your breath or whatever, and your, would be, your words would be, or not, or not. You don't need to say it out loud, but I'm going to run through a whole bunch of them. You can choose to trust God or not. You can choose to obey God or not. You can choose to do what is right or not. You can choose to believe in the Holy Spirit or not, to release the Holy Spirit or not, to depend upon God or not, to take offense or not, to have fellowship with other believers or not, to have a disciplined, godly life or not, to believe in God's word and his promises or not, to act on God's word or not, to sin or not, to serve or not, to love or not, to act with integrity or not, to lust or not, to commit adultery or not, to watch porn or not, to lie or not. You could go on and on with your list of things to live a godly life, and you can choose not to do it. Choices are a matter of your heart, what you are going to do. Turn to Psalm 23 very quickly. Psalm 23. Choice is a matter of the heart. Hearts are going to determine those directions we're going to take. Jesus said in Matthew 6, you should be going to Psalm 23, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, he said, for where your treasure is, there shall your heart be also. So what you value, what you consider important, what you look to to satisfy your needs, your heart can't help but get there. Where your treasure is, there is your heart going to be also. Psalm 23, I don't know, I've really not ever met anybody who doesn't love Psalm 23, if they have heard it and studied it. We love the pastoral scene. We love the picture of sheep and shepherd. We like that. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley... Valley of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We love it. That's a wonderful, comforting psalm. It's, it should be. But if you notice the first several words, he makes me lie down, he leads me beside and he guides me along. What happens if I don't go? What happens if I don't follow? What happens if he leads me to a place that I don't want to be? What's going to happen? All the blessings of, Saul, of being under the shepherd's care means that now you're going to be in a, needy, a needy person. You're not going to have everything you need. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. If he's not my shepherd, I lack everything. It's dry places. It's turmoil. It's sick and confused. It's fear. It's alone. It's no comfort. There's no anointing. No loving care of a shepherd. He makes me do that. He leads me to do that. He guides me to do that. But what is my choice? 
when the circumstances come that he says, son, daughter, come this way. I've got a place of rest for you. I've got a place of supply for you. I've got something that is going to bring you anointing. It's going to anoint your head. It's going to be there. And now you have a conflict. Do I want to take the time to do it? Well, I don't want to do that now. Well, well, I don't really need it right now. Well, that's for somebody else. That's not me. What happens? Let's go deeper into the heart choice issue. I want to give you four quick ones, three or four quick ones. If I'm going to go deeper in the heart choice, we have choices, but it comes from my heart. It will line up, and I've said this before, but let me give it a different way. One, it will line up with God's word, but it will be and be a part of the very attributes and character of God. It will not only line up with everything God says, but it will line up with his character. What is God like? What is his character? Jesus said, I've come to show you the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Knowing you, Father, is eternal life. What is the Father? He said, you can look at me and see what God's like. What is God like? And when I know what God's like, his word will be his word, his life. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. It's in the word, the living, personal word of God. But it's going to take on his character. Moses had asked that question back in Exodus chapter 34. He said, I want to see who you are. And the answer that he saw was the Lord, the Lord, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin, yet does not leave the guilty unpunished and so forth. What is God like? He's merciful. So when I come to a choice and I go according, I should walk in his character, should be compassionate, should be loving, should be faithful. It would be maintaining love. The things that are going to move things that direction is going to be according to his character. Number two, his direction for us following his lead is going to be recognizable. John 10, 4 and 5. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. There's a relationship. My sheep hear my voice. You ought to be able to recognize it. That was his promise to recognize his voice. I can look back. I've seen where I've missed it. I can look back a lot of times and say, oh no, boy, did I ever miss that, did I? But I learned along the way. You learn. Well, I missed that. How do I get to the next place, Lord? I want to recognize it more. Number three is that his will, his way, his pattern for me will convict me when I'm off track. It's going to be obvious it's going to bring conviction. Now the enemy will accuse us. He brings accusation. Revelation 12, 9. The accuser of their brethren. Jesus felt it. Luke chapter 4. In that testing in the wilderness. He accused him. If you are the son of God. So the accusation was there. The condemnation. And you've heard this before. But I want to remind you. Some of you may not have heard or thought of it for a while. Because you're right in the midst of this. Okay. What's the difference between condemnation and conviction? What are the differences between those? What, I, sometimes it's hard to tell the difference. I just feel so bad about something. What is going on? Here's a good question to ask. Where is this leading me? This sense I have, this feeling, I feel condemned. I feel uh, accused. I don't know what's going on in my life. What is going on? Where is that leading me? Is it the conviction of the Holy Spirit? Let me say, I'll separate it clearly. 
conviction, that word, of the Holy Spirit will always take me to the Father for help. It will always take me to God for forgiveness. It will always take me to the cross for cleansing. It will always take me to the blood of the Lamb that I might be washed clean. There are things that we do that, that just are, are, are so wrong and we just make such a mistake and we feel terrible. Lord, how could I have done this? Well, the enemy now, condemnation, will pile on. It'll drive you further. You, you can't go to church anymore. You can't. What are, you, what are you even thinking about reading your Bible for? You're, you're, you blew it. You're, you're bad. That's the accuser that's coming after us. And listen, the enemy, the accuser is alive and well, unfortunately, coming against you as a believer, coming against the church, coming against God's word in this day that we live in. They want to call you a name because you stand according to the word of God. You're this, you're that. Excusing. Listen, that's condemnation. We don't take that. But if the Holy Spirit says, Jim, you're not lining up. Church, you're line, not lining up with my word. Listen, that's conviction. Lord, I'm coming to you. I'm grabbing hold of you. That's where I need to go. Ask yourself the question, where are the thoughts taking me? Are they taking me closer to God? Oh, God, help me. It's true. I, I need to confess the sin. I need to go deal with it. I need to ask for forgiveness. I need to go deal with it. Or is it saying... I can't do it, I'm done, I'm alone, I, I'm worthless, accuser, wrong. And, and that enemy will lead you to further wrong choices, not going to God. You're going to go into yourself, you're going to go into despair, and that condemnation. But the Holy Spirit is so wonderful. He guides us and he takes us. Listen, Psalm 51, David said, create me a clean heart. Did he fail? Absolutely. Did he really mess up? Absolutely. But he said, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. And then... Have you created me a clean heart? Then I can teach others your way. Psalm 51, wonderful psalm about that. Number four, quickly, is God always offers clear solutions, a way out and a way through. You should be in the book of Psalm. Let's go to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1, you can write these down for later if you like to read them later. Verse 18, he said, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you'll eat the good things of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. There's the pattern again. Come, let's settle this issue. You've been in sin. That's the circumstance. Now we have a problem. Though your sins are scarred, they're going to be white as snow. They'll be red as crimson. They'll be like wool. If you're willing, now choice to be made. If you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the good things. But if you resist and make a different choice and rebel, you're going to be devoured by the sword. For God has spoken this pattern there. Your choices are important. Why? Because there always is a consequence. It produces something, a result of your choices. It's guarantee. You don't live in a vacuum. Things will result of this. When Judy and I were raising our three boys, um, someone told us this, and we began to put it into practice and realize it's important. And so this is for any aspect, but when the boys, they said this, what's cute at two years old is very annoying at eight years old, and by the time it's 13, it's a tragedy. Cute at two, annoying at eight, a tragedy at 13. What does that mean? 
It means that when that little baby begins to bite people, oh, it's so cute. Look at they're just biting all the neighbors. <laughs> oh, so cute. Look at there. Listen, if you have an eight-year-old biting you, it's very annoying. And if they're biting you at 13, you're taking them to jail. Okay? It's a simple pattern. If you've got to deal with it when it's small. That low tire on your car, let me assure you that it's going to go flatter. Tires do not produce air all by themselves. You've got to put something in there. And sometime, if you don't tend it, it's cute. Oh, look at the nice flat tire. Oh, it's so annoying. It's a tragedy when you're sitting on 77 in the middle of Rush Hour with a flat tire. The pattern is there. It's in our lives. Proverbs 20 verse 14 says laziness. A slugger does not plow in season. So at harvest he looks and he finds nothing. Let me drop this one and then I'm going to be done. Mary Wetzel, WCRF, she's been on the radio, has a, some sort of a, a teaching letter. Mary Wetzel, I heard her years ago. She said, you can choose your sin, but you can't choose your consequence. You can choose to do what you're going to do, but you can't choose the end of it. You might think you are, but you can't. Now, I've been talking about how to avoid bad consequences. And, of course, we want to live in grace. We want to live in God's blessings and the rewards of good choices. But it's the wonderful grace of Jesus, the grace of God, that gives promises of rewards for obedience. And when we do fail, and we do fail, it's God, God is able to buy back and restore. I'm going to go uh, have several more verses, but let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I want to give all of us the hope of the message of the gospel and what it all means for us, the truth of the word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I was going to go back and read out of Joel 2 and Hosea 10 about breaking up the fallow ground, sowing seeds of righteousness, and uh, walk that way because God, God says, I will restore that which the locust has eaten. But here's a promise. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. I got the wrong one. Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's the truth. And he goes on, though, and he said, that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Church, our God is an awesome God. And he can take of our miserable existence of sin and by the power of the gospel, when we receive him as Savior, he can change us. And we can become new creatures in Christ. We can be washed from our past. We can no longer, we can not be defined by that any longer. I have been changed by the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. And for us as believers, when we walk in this, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. And he can cleanse us. And he can wash us. And he can change us. It's time 
to seek the Lord and make that choice to follow him. Our God is an awesome God. And we have a message to give to the nations. But first, we've got to get this handled in us. Choices are heart matter. Let God touch your heart today. Get it settled. Make the choice. Conflict is here. What are you going to do now? What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? Listen to him. Worship team, come. Let's all stand and bow our heads before the Lord. Father God, we stand in this place saying, speak, Lord. We want to hear your voice for our lives, that we're going to be people who are ready. We're going to be doing your will in this day of confusion, this day of challenge, the day of what's coming. But Lord, even right now, it begins that I'm choosing life today, choosing life for my marriage and my workplace and my family and my children and grandchildren, for my family and the church, my brothers and sisters. Lord, together we're going to walk with you to see you, to see you face to face one day. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you might empower us to do that right now. And Lord, I pray for those that might be struggling today, wondering, feeling the condemnation of the enemy, that they would turn away from that and turn towards the way of life, towards God's forgiveness and God's grace to help us through. Lord, bless each one today. We give you our life. And Lord, may we walk in such a way to please you, not our flesh. Lord, we're bowing before you, our God. We've worshipped you. We've heard your word. We come to this point. We say we're going to bow our knee before your throne to worship you. And then, Lord, we're going to leave this place and go out into a world that desperately needs you, desperately needs a Savior. May we be used by you to accomplish your purposes on earth, I pray in the name of Jesus.